0: So, how's everyone doing this morning? Good. Venue, you guys doing well? Can't hear you, so it must be doing good. Um, we got an extra hour of sleep, sleep last night, so that's good, right? I wish that could happen every week. Last night was a mess for the Corn Huskers. I looked up that word mess, and it says it's a situation. Or a state of affairs that is confused or full of difficulties. I think that described the game last night well. A lot of us probably feel a lot like how Nebraska felt. That we are in a mess. And I want to describe to you the kind of the mess that my wife and I are in right now. I like chocolate. I like chocolate a lot, and so chocolate's going to represent my wife, there's my oldest daughter, my middle daughter, and my youngest daughter. So I kind of like onions and and, 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 and onion rings, but I don't really like raw onions, and so this is going to kind of represent my son-in-laws. No. Not really. I like my son-in-laws. And here, here's the sour cream. Most of you know that I despise sour cream. If you were to get information out of me, you would set me down, tie me up, and you would say, All right, Kevin. Here's a big glob of sour cream, and I would sing like a canary. <laughs> so here's the difficult part in our situation. I really do not like sour cream. Our daughter, this even smells, our daughter had, um, had a little girl named Brindley about four and a half years ago, and she lived um, on this earth for all of 12 minutes. And so I really, really love our little grandbaby, Brindley. But it really stinks, and I'm just going to put a massive glob of sour cream, that she is not here right now to enjoy hanging out with her grandpa and her grandma. And it really stinks that her daughter had another pregnancy, and they didn't go as planned either. And it really stinks that their first adoption went all the way to the birth and the mom says, we're going to keep the baby. And it really stinks that they tried this a second time and it went clear up until the mom had the baby and they said, we want to keep this son. And so you can imagine that this is my mess and I'm guessing that right now, if I were to sit down with each one of you, that you could share with me your own messes as well. And have, have you ever had moments in the mess where you feel like you've been pushed to the breaking point? I mean, I, I had one of those moments um, this past two weeks ago Jenna and I were in Florida. We were attending an EFCA pastors gathering. And at the at last part of that week, we went and visited some friends in Jacksonville. So in between those two events, we decided to spend a little bit of time at Disney, at Disney Springs. And we wanted to go see the Cirque du Soleil show there at Disney Springs. And so that's what we did. And we had some time to kill. And so we decided that, how many of you like uh, people watching? That's a good skill, right? So that's what we did in the afternoon. We enjoyed watching people. I, mean, I have to say, though, I have to admit that there was a few moments in there that while we were watching that um, we would see families with the little kids in it, and we would just have moments of sadness that we wish that we were able to take our grandkids to a place like this. But there was one moment And I wasn't prepared for this. That took me deeper than I have ever been before um, since the death of our granddaughter. And we were walking along, and there was this information kiosk. And there was the dad and the grandpa. And I think there was two or three, or probably two boys that were around. And I thought, man, that's awesome. And then I glanced to the right, and there's the mom And she had a little baby, and just tending to the needs of that little one. And then I just had a quick glance, and there was the grandma. And with the grandma was her little granddaughter, and they were twirling around. And as I looked at that little granddaughter, it dawned on me that that granddaughter was about the same age that Brinley would have been if she would be alive today and it was at that moment that i just felt like that something had punched me in the stomach and the wind had gone out and time had froze and in that moment i could feel this tension inside of me and i what i wanted to do if i was just going to let myself go is just cry out to say that i am done And so I knew that there was this battle that was going on in my heart. Who was I going to believe? Was I going to believe the God who loves me or am I going to believe self? It was at that moment that, you know, kind of the world began to go again and I don't know if it was, you know, I don't know if it was this loud whining that I was hearing where, you know, it probably could have been something about, you know, it came from one of their little kids and it kind of something about that their life was ruined, that they didn't buy him the R2-D2 action figure from the Star Wars store. I don't know if it was that. All right, so that really didn't happen, but I wish it would have. But in that brief moment, in that brief moment, this was what was going on in my heart, And I said, I know that you are good, God. I know that you are good and that you are for me, but it doesn't feel like it. I know that that you love me. I don't understand what's going on right now, but I'm choosing to trust you that one day, whether on this earth or whether in heaven, that all of this will be redeemed even beyond what I can think or imagine. And And then the moment passed and my wife didn't even know what was going on inside of me and we continued walking and life carried on. And I think part of what was going on inside of me was this idea of fairness. It just doesn't seem fair and I'm guessing that if that all of us were to be honest we would say that 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 you have felt this same way at times as well and when that happens is that we feel like that if I just obey more or if I just try harder that maybe God will save me, will bless me, save me from suffering. Or we say this, I have done everything right, God, and yet this still happened. What good is it? Or maybe that you know that God is good, and you know it here, but you don't know it here. It hasn't made that travel from your head to your heart. And so then we say, I know that you are good, but God, you are not good to me. And so this is what we want to tackle this morning. This idea that God will save me from suffering this mess if I obey. We want to look at a passage in, in the book of Luke. So it's in the New Testament, and you go from Matthew, Mark, to the book of Luke, chapter 13, and we're going to look at these first five verses, so you can turn there if you like, otherwise it'll be up on the screen, and you can use your phone. Here's a story where we see Jesus responding to some very public comments about a pair of recent Palestinian events or tragedies. So we pick it up in verse 1, there were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And so here we see the government or the state had killed some Jews and allowed their blood to be mixed in with, with what, that of the sacrifices of the temple. And we don't know why, we only know the result. And I want you to know that this is a big deal in the Jewish community. And the reaction was very emotional, and it was very widespread. And this is how Jesus responds to them. He says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? And then he says this, no, I tell you, no, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And then he moves into this second event, and he says this, Or or what about these 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them? And so he talks about a political tragedy, and then he moves it to a natural catastrophe. And so Siloam was this location of a water reservoir for Jerusalem, and that was on the south and east walls of the city. And here was an event, apparently, that was beyond anyone's control, and the tower fell and killed these 18 people. And so Jesus responds again, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? And he says, no, I tell you. But unless you repent you will all likewise perish. So let's step back a little bit from the story. Don't you think that those who were listening to Jesus, that were around him, who, were here, who had heard these two stories, felt something? Felt that, that maybe this seems unfair, that maybe this seems wrong? Or did these people do something? to deserve this. And this is what I want us to get out of this passage, that Jesus taught this crowd and you and I that messes could happen to anyone because all of us are human. So his point was that being killed in these situations or not being killed is no measure of of a person's unrighteousness or his righteousness in other words anyone can be in a mess and this is the reality right that we find most troubling this idea that God has not chosen to spare even a follower of his from the consequences of a very fallen world what we see happen in Genesis 3 And we've been taught, I believe, that we need to look for someone or something to blame, right? And then if I can link that to, to this suffering or to this mess, then I can know who or what or to avoid, or how I can navigate through this, through this mess, through this pain. Through this suffering, and then this becomes our motivation in our life. And we are conditioned to um, to see good health and prosperity not as a gift, but we want to see it as a right alongside our pursuit of happiness that Adrian talked about last week. And so, although, although the world is full of disease, it's full of accidents and seemingly random um, misfortunes. This is what we tend to think. We tend to think that this will happen to someone else, that they deserve this somehow or some way, and we don't think that this mess is going to come to us. Come going to come into our life and this is what I want you not to miss this morning. Is that Jesus says that you and I are to expect it. He says in the in the world you will have tribulation in John 16:33. And the sooner that we accept this reality that we are living in a fallen world with that suffering, the sooner that we're going to be able to get on with living our life as a son and daughter of Jesus Christ. In Matthew 5, 45, he says, For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. And so here's the reality in Scripture, is that suffering is a main thread from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And the pinnacle of that is, of course, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and everything that he went through while he was on this earth, ending with the death of himself on the cross. And so we would do well to expect suffering in our life. In the Old Testament, there's a story in the book of Daniel, and you don't need to turn there, but Daniel chapter 3, where King Nebuchadnezzar builds this grand um, uh, image, golden image, that, that everyone was to bow down to. And there are these three young men who, when they heard that, said, nope, we're not going to do that, I'm going, we're going to refuse to bow down to this golden image. And of course, the king found out about it, and so he summoned them in. And in essence, he ordered them, demanded that they bow down. And so if you can imagine, these young men were faced with um, a crisis of belief. Were they going to say no, or were they going to say yes, we'll bow down? And so they had to, to, to decide. And it's not unlike... I believe, when we are faced with um, a mess that we in no way said, yeah, bring it on, this is what I want in my life. And so what are you going to do in the face of this mess or in the face of the fire in your life? And, And I might add here that there's really no way for you to know who you really are as a follower of Christ until you've gone through some kind of fire in your life. So let's look at Daniel 3, verses 17 and 18. And this is the response that we see. Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us us out of your hand, O king, But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods, or we will not, or worship this golden image that you have set up. So these guys were confident, right? These guys were confident that God was going to rescue them, or he even he was able to rescue them, and not only that, but that he was going to rescue them. But then we look at, and then that next sentence it says, but if not, and, and that might suggest that maybe there was just a little bit of wavering in these young men, but that's just not true. The answer to that is that, they, um, that their confidence was actually in God and not in some agenda that they wanted God to do for them. Like, we think the solution here is for you to deliver us out of the fire and for us to live. That's not what they were saying they said I we actually believe in God and whatever decision he chooses to do we're okay with. And so they trusted in God and that trust included what might happen to them. And so they just trusted in God period. The Bible does not promise you and I that our mess will have a happy ending in this life. God sometimes heals. Sometimes he takes away the pain. Sometimes he calms the storms. Sometimes he cleans up the messes. And then again, sometimes he doesn't. It's interesting that we very seldom get clarity in our mess, in the pain. Stephen didn't in the Bible. John the Baptist didn't. Paul didn't. You look at the men and women in Hebrews 11, they didn't. And we go further in that story in Daniel 3, and we see that there was a fourth man walking in the fire with these three young men. And looking back, we know that this fourth man is Jesus. And he's walking with them in the fire And this is what, this morning, my my girls, when they were little and I was maybe watching ESPN and I wasn't paying attention to them, they would come up to me and they would grab my face and they would turn my head right to them and they would demand that I look in their eyes and they would say, Dad, listen, So this is what I'm doing right now. Pretend I've got you on the cheeks, I'm turning your head and I'm asking you to look right in my eyes. Here's what he wants you to know this morning is that I am walking with you in the fire, that I'm walking with you in the mess. And the question is, is will you walk with me? You see, suffering is unbearable if you aren't certain that God is for you and with you. And so this morning I'm just asking that you don't lose heart. And here's the main point of this message: that this is what we're talking about this morning is that God is at work in the mess. God's at work in the mess. Say that with me. God is at work in the mess. One more time. God. It's absolutely. And I'm not asking you to be encouraged. In the midst of all this, to be encouraged because God is with you. And he says in Isaiah 43:2. When you pass through the waters and when you walk through the fire, I will be with you. One more passage this morning, 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. This is an incredible passage, and it says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, be loved. We are God's children. We are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but what we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. You see, Christianity, this being with God, and Jesus forever in heaven is not merely a consolation prize for you and I. It's a, rest, a full-on restoration of your life, and not just of the life that we had, but of the life we've always wanted but never were able to be achieved while on this earth. I mean, that's just incredible to me. And so here's the other truth, is that heaven... We'll make amends for everything. And that's what we want to hold on to. That's what we want to grasp. So here's some things to do. I don't want to touch this because it really stinks. Here's some things to do in the mess. First thing is this. There's no more faking I'm fine. You know, you can and should be honest about the reality of your suffering, the reality of your pain. You've got... Brothers and sisters in Christ who will come alongside and encourage and just walk with you. Second thing is, it's okay to recall the past. Paul certainly did that. But we just don't want you to live there. And I've just been so encouraged by reading 2 Corinthians and just Paul's life with that. And then thirdly is this, is to know and speak the gospel. Walk with him. Wrestle with him until you can say, thy will be done. Pray and be disciplined in your thinking. Christianity teaches, and this is a quote from um, a book that Tim Keller wrote. He said this, is that Christianity teaches that contra-fatalism, suffering is overwhelming. Contra-Buddhism, suffering is real. Contra-karma, suffering is often unfair. But contra-secularism Suffering is meaningful. There is a purpose to it, and if faced rightly, it can drive us like a nail deep into the love of God and into more stability and spiritual power than you can imagine. See, messes happen, but God is at work in the mess. And as Adrian and I were talking this morning, there's our deep prayer for you Is that you would begin to be, today we pray that you will be released from this bondage of wrong thinking around this area. This whole idea that if I obey, if I do something, that God is going to bless me or God is going to not put suffering in my life. And just to be released from that so that you can live in freedom to enjoy God, to enjoy our good, good Father, even in the midst of this mess. I want to end this morning by sharing with you a testimony from a young woman who, is, who has a mess in her life and, and she's still going through this mess. And it's not neat, and it's not tidy, but it's genuine. And my prayer is that you're going to be encouraged in this. So we're going to watch this video, and then we're going to come back and we're going to sing. And, and I just want to invite you this morning that if this has touched your heart, that during that time when we sing... I invite you to come up and and I'll be up here along with our other pastors and prayer partners and we would just love to pray with you. So um, let's just watch this together.
1: My name is Timmery Gertson. My parents are Kevin and Janet Andries. I grew up in Kearney-Efree and in Kearney, and I moved to Aurora when I married my husband, Jonathan, which will be seven years ago in December. Life kind of took some crazy turns for us. A little over four years ago, um, we had a little girl named Brindley, and she lived for 12 minutes and then went home to be with Jesus. So um, that kind of threw us for a loop, and. We were just kind of at a crossroads with life. Um, We decided to wait about a year and then found out we were pregnant again and ended up having an ectopic pregnancy with that baby and so we lost that baby as well. Took some time to kind of grieve through that process, and then uh, just really felt God leading us towards adoption. And so we've been in the adoption process for a little bit over two years now, and in that time I've had several setbacks with that. We've had two adoptions um, fall through, and just kind of have run through the run through the gamut and experienced a lot of roller coaster emotions with that process. Growing up, I kind of always thought that, um, like obedience to God equaled blessing from God. So I always kind of strove to do the right things or follow the right path um, because I thought that was the way that I was going to get blessing from God. I thought that if I, you know follow the right structure for dating and marriage and then having getting pregnant that 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 would protect me from anything bad happening to my children that that would secure the kind of life that I thought you know I wanted and I dreamed of but through our experiences my view of God has really been challenged and has really changed I remember sitting in the house in um, in the city that we were in for the adoption and just sitting out on the back little porch going god i feel like i have no clue who you are i feel like i've never known you i grew up hearing all about you but i literally feel like i do not know you at all Um, because i just really just felt at this really deep raw place that um, a lot of the things of the head knowledge i had a lot of what i believed didn't hold up in the fire. It was kind of at that point that I just decided, okay, I need to do a heart check and just figure out why I'm doing the things I'm doing. Why am I, you know, why am I going to church? Why am I a part of Bible studies? Why am I doing these things? Is it because I feel like if I do them then God's going to bless us with a family or am I doing them because that's where my heart's at and that's my community and my fellowship? And when I'm really truly honest my heart was doing those things because I wanted people to think I was okay. Thankfully with the Holy Spirit you know we We can work through that and struggle through that, but um, just really found myself at this place of tension and really just craved a real God. I remember telling a friend of mine, I want to know God like I know the breath in my lungs, like I feel the blood running through my body. I want to feel God in my bones, like I want him to be so real to me that I can, get through anything. While God is good we also suffer and while not all of that makes sense um, trusting that somehow it all works together for good and it's all you know in God's sovereign plan and being okay with not understanding it. One thing that I found through all of the experiences we've been through in the last several years is just that God really cares. God's after our hearts and he's not so much interested in how well we do things, he's interested in where our hearts are at. And so that's been encouraging to me because I've had a lot of really not pretty days with um, struggling through all of these emotions and all of this grief and this loss and this um, just not understanding what's going on. And But at the end of the day, knowing that as long as I'm continuing to give god my heart whatever that looks like that's where i need to be that's the place that i need to be at and that's what he's after and the blessing doesn't come in the rules the blessing doesn't come in the doing the right things all the time the blessing comes in the relationship with him it was sometime a few months ago i was just sitting in my bed at night and just this um, kind of i don't know thought popped into my head and i wrote it down on my phone Real faith is forged in the tension. We shy away from it because it's uncomfortable. It's unreconcilable. It feels awkward and out of control, which it is. But that is where the real true faith is built, in those moments when you don't have all or really any of the answers. Why is not a question you can even begin to answer or make sense of. You know God is able, but you also know his plan is not the same as your plan. And you say, I know my God is able to deliver me from this fire, but even if he does not, I will still praise him. So that's kind of where my heart's at right now. Um, just every day, just trying to get to that place where I say, God, even if you do not, you are still my God and I will still praise you. And that's honestly a struggle. That's not easy to say every day, but, um, but I feel like that's where we need to be, is just, you know, even if he, do, even if he does not, you are still God and he is still great and um, we will still praise him.